You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. For our scripture reading then, we turn to Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And then we turn to our text this morning, Psalm 134, again a song of ascents, Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, what is important, things or people? What is of greatest significance, relationships or possessions? What should speak to you more, your wife or your car? Now, on the surface, these might seem like strange questions, and yet from time to time, they do need to be asked. Because I would remind you that our culture is very materialistic and money-driven. There are so many Voices telling us every day that money means more than people. On my recent overseas trip, I was reminded of this again in so many, many ways. Money is king. And yet, beloved, how alien such a perspective is from what the Bible teaches us. Consider only a small part of the book of Psalms. Psalm 131 stresses that we can find rest only in God. Psalm 132 teaches us that there is nothing better than to live in covenant with our most gracious God and Father. And Psalm 133 declares that it is a most precious thing when brothers and sisters live together in unity. Now, that's only a small sampling of a few psalms, but if you look carefully, what you see there is that the scriptures stress relationships. Money is a tool. Money is a means that will never bring happiness. Think only some of you of Ebenezer Scrooge. On the other hand, living in fellowship with God and your neighbor, scripture says, is a true source of joy, peace, and blessing. Yes, and that, beloved, that particular lesson comes out not just in Psalm 131, 132, and 133, but also in our text this morning of Psalm 134. Only it links happiness and joy to a relationship of an entirely different kind. It may be even of a kind that you haven't really given much thought to. 
For really, what Psalm 134 is saying is that happiness is also about the right relationship between the children of God and the special office bearers that God gives them. A happy church, in other words, if you want to put it that way, is a church that has both happy members and also happy elders and deacons. Of course, you may wonder, how does that work? Well, let's look closely at Psalm 134. I preached to you on the theme, two-way praise. We're first of all going to have a look at encouragement for priestly service, and secondly, blessing from priestly servants. Well, beloved, for openers, it's good to remind ourselves that Psalm 134 is a song of sense. And that means it's one of those special psalms that the children of Israel used to sing when they went up to the city of Jerusalem for those great festivals throughout the year. In the absence of planes, trains, buses, and cars, the people would walk from all the four corners of the Promised Land. And for some of them, it was a short walk. For others, it was a long walk. For some of them, it was uneventful. For others, it was filled with fear of being robbed or beaten or both. So either to heighten their joy or to calm their fears, they would sing as they walked. And what did they sing? Well, they sang mostly these psalms of ascents that you find here in the book of Psalms, the Psalms 120 to 134. And so from north and south, east and west, the land would echo with music, with pilgrims singing. And indeed, the people would sing all the way to Jerusalem, and they wouldn't stop even once they got to Jerusalem. They would also fill the city with singing. Oh, and one more thing, at the end of the feast, they would sing one last psalm of ascent. And indeed, in some ways, it was more a psalm of farewell than it was a psalm of ascent. And which psalm was last? Well, 134. As the feast wrapped up, as preparations were being made to go home again, and as the last evening's shadows fell over the city and over the temple, the people would sing to the priests. And what would the people sing to the priests? Well, you have it here in this psalm. Praise the Lord. All you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Now think about it. What do those words tell you? For one, they tell us surely that the people esteemed their office bearers. They saw these servants of the Lord as special. They saw them as gifts of God. They saw them as people who were working on their behalf and for their ultimate benefit. And by singing to them, they are reminding them that they are special. 
And in addition, by singing to them, the people also want to encourage them. For notice, these men are on day and night duty. They spend all their time working for God and serving the needs of the people. And it might be added, they don't exactly have the easiest task in the world. You know, dealing with things is always easier than dealing with people. Things don't talk back, they don't slander, they don't play hide-and-seek, they don't criticize. So knowing that priestly service isn't easy, the people sing to them. And through their song, they bolster them up, they lift them up, they encourage them. But then if the people's singing is full of esteem and encouragement to the priests, it's also full of their, their work. Indeed, it's important to realize the reason the people sing to the priests is not because they're such nice guys or such jolly good fellows. This is not about popular people and entertaining personalities. Now, this is about work. This is about office in the church of God. This is about royal and priestly tasks. These men are esteemed and they're being encouraged for their work's sake. And what's their work? Well, two things stand out in Psalm 134. The first is ministry. Most likely, that refers especially, not only, but especially to the work of sacrifice. And if you think of it, that had to be arduous work. Can you imagine for a moment being a priest in the Old Testament and what exactly that means? You know, that means that you're constantly involved with people and with animals. With putting animals to death. With blood. With burning parts of their carcasses. Just stop for a moment and imagine the noise of all those bleeding, bellowing animals. All the smells of all those sacrifices and all the sights. You know, we have this habit of reading rather lightly and at times merrily over the pages of the Old Testament, but the reality is often much grimmer and more intimidating. Yet the priests did their work. They did it mostly during the day, but even at night they couldn't rest. They, all night they had to keep watch. And, and so you can say that priestly work in Jerusalem was no picnic. It was hard, it was long. At times it was gruesome. But yet they did it. They did it to God's praise. And on behalf of God's people. Yes, and now the people, before they go home, want to stimulate these men to keep on doing the Lord's work in the Lord's house for the Lord's people to the Lord's glory. For they know that that is how they are being served best. And that is how God's name is being lifted up. 
But then notice priestly work is not just about ministering, it's also about praying. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. You know, if sacrifice is one part of a priest's work, then prayer is another. And of course, this especially is a reference to intercessory prayer. Praying for all the needs and the hurts and the pains and the hardships of God's people. The priests are to pray to God for them. And the psalmist says they're to lift up holy hands. Now, it might be interesting to stop for a moment at that holy hands business. I think it's true to say that today we don't usually do that. There are some Christians who still do, and there are some who have rediscovered it. Should we do it too? Should you and I be lifting holy hands? Well, biblically, you can't really argue against it, can you? But at bottom, I suppose that whether you lift up your hands, whether you fold them together, or whatever you do, whatever posture you take, whether sitting, standing, or lying down, it doesn't really matter. The postures of prayer, I would remind you this morning, are many. And in some ways, they're all optional. And yet there is something richly symbolic in those priests lifting up their hands to God. For by lifting up your hands, you're taking the position of a pleader, of a supplicant, of a petitioner. Of someone who's reaching up to God in order to pull something down. And then remember that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Not below. From above. And that by lifting up holy hands it is as if we are beseeching God to to bring these things down to us and into our lives. And that's also what the priests are to do. And so the people are prodding them. They're prodding them to minister. They're they're prodding them in their work of sacrifice. They're prodding them in their work of intercessory prayer. What the people want are faithful office bearers, diligent priests, praying servants. And of course, you can say that's also something that applies today. Also to these two brothers about to be installed, as well as those brothers previously ordained and installed into their respective offices. You and I have certain expectations concerning these men. And at the same time, you and I have the same duty as those saints of old, which is to esteem them, to encourage them, to promote and to pray for them. Of course, I realize there are differences. They're not Old Testament priests. They don't, thankfully, have to sacrifice any animals. They don't have to keep the lights burning in this building day and night. No, all of that has changed. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has changed all of that. When he came, he put an end to all shedding of blood. 
And today he is our high priest and we are all priests in his service. And yet in the midst of all of this, there are still special office bearers. There are, the New Testament teaches us still, elders and deacons. Men set aside for the work of God in the church of God. There are deacons who are to be busy with the ministry of mercy. And there are elders who are to shepherd the flock. These men are still working on your behalf. And so together we need to recognize and realize this. And together, like the saints of old, we need to carry them. Carry them in our prayers to spur them on, to support them, to esteem them, to stand behind them as also they work on our behalf before the face of God. But then, beloved, if Psalm 134 is about church members encouraging church officers, it's also, you might notice, about church officers blessing church members. For listen, may the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. Those are the last words of this short psalm. And you need to realize that here, in these last words, the priests are speaking to the people. They're expressing the wish, the desire, the hope that the Lord God will bless them. You might say there's a kind of two-way traffic in this psalm. The people are speaking to the priests, to God. And the priests are speaking to the people, to God. And as well, notice that the greatest desire of these priests of old is that the Lord will bless them. Now that raises the interesting question, what is a blessing? Some would say it's nothing more than a pious wish or a vague kind of statement. But you know, in in the Bible, that word blessing tends to be a rather loaded term. And in that particular term, there is wrapped all of the hopes and the expectation that the other person will receive gifts. Gifts of grace, of forgiveness, gifts of righteousness and eternal life, gifts of food and health and shelter, both material as well as spiritual things. And there is a realization that in and through these blessings, one is able to live and experience a rich and abundant life. And that without these blessings, your life will wither like fruit on the vine. And the priests, beloved, these priests of old, they want the people of God to have these gifts of God innumerable. It's a notice, they're all divine gifts. Notice the priests mention first the giver. The giver is the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. 
You may know whenever the name Lord is capitalized in the Old Testament, it actually means Yahweh. Literally, the desire or wish is, may Yahweh bless you. And earlier in this psalm, it is literally, praise Yahweh, all you servants of Yahweh who minister by night in the house of Yahweh, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise Yahweh. And who is Yahweh? Yahweh is God. That's his covenant name. It's his, as we said at the beginning, that's his relationship name. When he stoops down and makes a covenant with his people, filled with promises and demands, curses and blessings, then he does so always as Yahweh. It's our God, Yahweh, who chose us, who loves us, who embraces us, who saves us, who blesses us so hugely. It's Yahweh who sends his Son into the world in the fullness of time. It's Yahweh who gives us of the Spirit. And so the priests are using here his covenant name and as the people as well. And notice too that something is added to the name. It's the expression, the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, the one who does this blessing business is no local, limited, stunted, capricious, unpredictable, minor deity. He's no pygmy God. No, our Yahweh is at the same time the one who receives and in whom resides all the power and might. He's not just the God of big promises, but also the God of big power. He makes it all happen. You know, if he can make the heavens and the earth merely by speaking, then he can impact surely your life and transform it as well. Nothing is outside of his scope, ability, or even possibility. And so you see the priests speak to the people about the giver of blessings, the power behind all of these blessings. And finally, they also speak about the storehouse of every blessing. And where is the storehouse? It's in Zion. May Yahweh bless you from Zion. So where is Zion? In the Old Testament, Zion was... Identified with Jerusalem. And why Jerusalem? Well, because in Jerusalem you had the tabernacle, later on the temple. In Jerusalem you had the ark and the mercy seat and the sprinkled blood that speaks more than the blood of Abel. In Jerusalem you have the city of the great king. And so all of God's treasures are actually in Jerusalem. And they flow out of Jerusalem. And the priests are here expressing the wish that that these gifts will keep on flowing out of Jerusalem, out of Zion, into the lives of God's people, and so richly and abundantly blessing them. 
And of course that happened from time to time. But if you read the pages of the Old Testament, you also know it didn't always continue. And therefore today we do not expect our blessings any longer from the city of Jerusalem and the state of Israel. There are Christians who do or who believe that one day Jerusalem will once again be identified with the Zion of old. But you know, today, beloved Zion isn't here. It's not on this planet. Today, Scripture says, Zion is above. That's where Christ, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. And today, all of our expectations and all of our hopes are tied to heaven. Why, even our worship. Our worship together this day is tied to heaven. Think of Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Today, our blessings and our gifts come from the Zion, the Jerusalem that is above. And now as the priests of old extended a blessing to the people from Zion, so the office bearers in Christ's church extend to you every blessing that is from the Zion that is above. Also these men and all of the elders, deacons, and pastors of this church desire one thing for you. And that is that you be richly, abundantly, overwhelmingly blessed from Zion. As you encourage these men, and as these men seek to encourage you, realize what a blessing all of this is. And you know, when this happens, when there is this two-way kind of traffic in the congregation of Jesus Christ, then this place becomes a happy place. And this community becomes a most precious community. May it be true of us here in Langley. May we be known as a congregation that has great support for its office bearers and a congregation in which its office bearers are continually seeking the blessing of God's grace upon his people. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.